Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco, and my also good buddy, Tanner Hoops. So good to have you guys back with us here tonight. And, and Kevin, we'll just start here. An exciting contest where Kansas City battles back, but boy, they sure, Chicago just would not let them close this game out. It, it just seemed to go on forever. It's all you could ask for for Chicago was just to get the potential tie and run up to home plate, but and it was the right two guys when you look at it with Ryan Lidge and Josh Altman, but it just wasn't meant to be as Kansas City rode the long ball tonight um, on route to a 9-6 victory over the Chicago Dogs. Tanner, as you look at this contest, uh, an early jump out there for Chicago to take the lead, and Kansas City was impressive in coming back in this contest. And I think I, I kind of walk away from this just thinking to myself, neither of these teams is willing to give an inch against the other. So it's making for a pretty exciting series. Yeah, Rob, uh, when I looked at tonight's game, you know, the biggest thing that stood out to me was Ashton Goodell and the way that he started. You know, it, I think there's always a conception, uh, particularly at this league with former uh, big leaguers, um, you know, that you have a guy like that go out there and he's, you know, expected to put up nine shutout innings and it's, you know, not always going to be that way. Um, you know, tonight it was a tough start for Goodell, but I, I think where you really – uh, you know, should kind of blend reality and come to come to expect uh, you know a type of start from a certain guy like uh, like of his quality would be um, you know what kind of short memory you can have how you can uh, turn around and you know pick yourself back up and shake off one bad inning and give your team a quality start and that's what Godot did tonight and uh, to me that was the biggest reason why Kansas City came away with the win. Well, Kevin, let's start in the bottom of the first. Kansas City had an opportunity to jump on Nick Green here. When they get a walk to Odubel Herrera, Justin Wiley follows with a single. So they have two on. A double play erases two of those guys. But then they load the bases on back-to-back walks, and it looked like Green was going to have a very tough night here tonight. You had to wonder. It almost seemed like it was game three of the Sioux City-Kansas City series all over again. And... You know, uh, Sam Brief pointed out during the broadcast tonight that I believe he said Chicago yielded the fewest walks in the entire league this season. I'm just going to throw this out, total conspiracy theory. Sioux City was also a team that did not walk many batters. I have to wonder, like I said, someone's going to say, oh, you're just being a Sioux City and Chicago apologist. You have to wonder if there is something with the mound or the orientation of home plate in Kansas City where it's tougher for teams to come in and throw strikes because it just seems odd that two teams and um, pitchers that are notorious for not walking guys walked a bunch of monarchs. Man, I like conspiracy theories to start a show. Man, that that's awesome. So what, let's roll with that. Got to reel them in early, Rob. Yeah, I mean, Otherwise, be too long. That's what I'm talking about. I'm loving it. Loving it. Tanner, let's jump to the top of the second. As you mentioned, Goodell, who had been untouchable in the playoffs here early on, got, got you know, had a little trouble in the first, but got out of with any problem. Then gives up the home run to Luke Mangieri to lead off the inning. Okay, you know, not a big deal. But Dylan Rosa walks, and then he gives up one to Matt Bocher. And, and I thought, man, they, that Chicago really had his timing down early. 
Yeah, they did. And, you know, they, and to his credit, you know, Godot was able to bounce back. He was able to mix things up. Uh, did a really good job mix, uh, mixing up his pitch speeds and his selection a little bit later on in the game. And, you know, uh, eventually had that short memory, trusted that his offense could get him back into the bowl game. And uh, that's ultimately what happened. But, you know, I, I think that's what uh, makes a major league type of start, you know, is not necessarily being unhittable, but uh, being the guy who gives your team a chance to win. And uh, tonight, uh, the recipe for that included shaking off a tough start. In the bottom half of the inning, Kevin, Taylor Schneider leads off in the home run. Once again, Kansas City able to load the bases on three walks, six walks through the first two innings of this ballgame for Green. And, and I thought to myself, Kevin, they, okay, you could have got more out of that. But I thought the most important part for Kansas City was you at least responded. You got to run back. And, and I don't know if you saw it that way, but I thought that was, you know, Kansas City saying, hey, look, we're going to keep battling with you. You're, you're not getting anything on us. You're right. Uh, that it's good that they got the run back. And when you think of the residual effects, it also drove up Green's diff, pitch count where he was not going to be able to get all that deep into the ball game either. So, you know, it's just those little things like pitch counts and working the pitch count as a batter that just, in the end, it will pay dividends. Nothing scored in the top of the third. Tanner, it goes to the bottom of the third when Kansas City gets another run on the board. John Hernandez leads off with a single. Green able to retire the next two batters. A wild pitch moved Hernandez into second, and that wound up being pivotal as Taylor Schneider comes up with a single with two outs in the inning to wind up driving home Hernandez. Two-out hit for Kansas City. A wild pitch created the guy in scoring chances. You know, it, it's it's kind of the performance, the big-time performance, and, the, and those small mistakes that really all of a sudden get magnified at this time of the year. Yeah, I tell you what, Rob, I think Taylor Snyder was probably the most impactful player on the field for either team tonight. You know, he was he was the spark plug for the Kansas City offense, and what a great midseason pickup he was. You know, he made his 2023 debut against us when we were down there midway in the season, and uh, from the get-go, I think he was two for four with a home run in his uh, his first game with Kansas City. He's just been impactful for them and really fills a hole with uh, with Peter Maris, you know, unable to finish the year with them. And, um, you know, I tell you what, he uh, performs in the biggest moments. That uh, showed itself. It played out tonight. Neither team scores in the fourth. Uh, Chicago shut down on the top of the fifth. We go to the bottom of the fifth in this game then, Kevin, and it is the walk coming back to haunt the, the, the dogs here again as Hernandez gets a one-out walk. Micro Duble follows with a walk. That was it for Green at that point, Kevin. And, you know, this guy, again, had been super dominant over the last month of the season. But, boy, as you're talking about, he, he just could not find the strike zone tonight. No, he couldn't. The pitch count got up, and he had runners on. Chicago's got a deep bullpen, so it was the obvious move to get him out of there and go to the pen. Let's stay with you a moment, Kevin, because you talked a lot about this impressive Chicago bullpen. DJ Snelton comes on. He walks uh, Brian O'Grady to load the bases up again. I think the last thing you want to see from your reliever coming in is to walk another guy. Snyder, as, as Tanner was talking about, comes up with a big RBI sacrifice wide to tie the game. You could feel at that point that this was completely Kansas City game. I mean, watching this, I was just thinking there was no way they were going to lose at this point. And it was, you know, it was a close call in that little pillbox of the ballpark down there that Snyder almost had enough on that to get it out of the ballpark, and that would have broke the game open even earlier. 
We go to the sixth. Chicago still being shut down uh, by Godot, who's doing a fantastic job. This was leading into the seventh for himself. But in the bottom half of the inning, Tanner, a monster inning for the Monarchs. They come up with five five runs on four hits. Uh, it just it starts with the LJ Hatch single. Uh, the next two batters are retired, but Chris Herman with a walk to keep the inning alive, and that brought up uh, John Hernandez, who blasted a three-run homer over the left field wall, just cleared. And, man, Hernandez, a guy all of a sudden, you know, kind of had just a, a pretty good season. But, man, he's been Mr. Playoff right now for Kansas City. Well, he was the guy I was so impressed with last year. It was my first year in the league, and I see this guy before he goes down midway through the year that, you know, he's a legitimate triple crown candidate. And, uh, you know, he's uh, really struggled to stay on the field, stay healthy here in 2023. But, boy, he is an impactful player. We know how good he is, and he's one of those guys that plays his best when the lights shine the brightest. And uh, that that's certainly been the case here in these playoffs. But I think you're exactly right when you, you said it earlier, Rob. It just felt like it was building towards something bigger. You know, when Snyder tied that game, uh, it seemed like you know it was starting to break the dam, and then of course that five-run inning, uh, you know the floodgates open up, and, uh, and I tell you that just seemed to be a, that that stretch there. Um, you know, I hate to use baseball, uh, you know, and I hate to use a linear time, you know, for baseball, but uh, but it seemed like you know there was about a 20-minute stretch there where it just started building uh, toward Kansas City, and then just kind of overwhelmed the dam, and you know it, it didn't really get close again until the ninth. Two big additions to the roster, Kevin, this season, Micah Rodolfo and Brian O'Grady follow with back-to-back solo homers. So three straight homers for the Monarchs. And, you know, I, I, we, we talked about this a little bit, Kevin, is, is the fact that this team is able to score runs in bunches. You, you mentioned early on in the playoffs they didn't have a lot of runs they were scoring, but when they did, they scored big in innings, and that proved to be the case here tonight as well. Was that Jan Hernandez's first home run ever? Because, I mean, the way he, like, celebrated, I thought maybe he had not hit one before. He did act that way. You know... He was pretty excited. Call me the old man on the porch or whatever, but... And I know there's probably extra emotion because of the playoff game, but still, when you hit one, act like you expected to do it. You know, after he hit that one, I'm thinking next time up, if they, that game got out of hand, I, I, I would have plugged him in the ribs. I like the old man on the porch. In the bottom of the seventh, Tanner, Jacob Robson leads off with the fifth home run of the game for Kansas City. I believe that was the fourth solo shot of the contest for the team. And, uh, again, I, I think we've looked at this club and thought, you know, wow, they just weren't like last season. But, boy, when they need to hit home runs, this team can really slug it. You know, they set the bar so high for themselves last season. You know, they set all those league records for single-season home runs, grand slams, slugging percentage, you name it. Um, you know, it was going to be a little bit of a letdown, no matter how good of a season uh, they had in the category in 2023. But as far as impactful and timely home runs, I think they've uh, cleared the bar that they set for themselves a year ago. You know, they just uh, they know when – uh, you know, everybody knows when to come up with the impactful home run, but who can actually execute, get that done? You know, Kansas City's doing that at a rate that I really haven't seen uh, many teams, you know, uh, maybe a handful of teams over uh, certain stretches of the year 
be able to do this season. You know, this is, of course, the best time uh, to be able to have something like that. But, you know, they always seem to be in position to get that big hit, that uh, multi-run home run to get them back into a game. And just when you start to feel like maybe the door's open for a little, uh, you know, maybe a comeback, uh, they, you know, continue to pile on. So, you know, they're, they're a team that's got veteran bats, and uh, they've all been part of high-leverage moments before. And, uh, you know, this is a, it's, it's nothing new to them, ultimately. And it's just uh, the type of, uh, of personnel, and I think the way that uh, clubhouse carries itself, I think uh, in a lot of ways it's an attitude. Kevin, looking at the Chicago bullpen here tonight, it had been so critical to the team's success throughout the season and into the postseason here. But Snelton gave up that sacrifice fly that tied the game in the fifth. Jonathan Cheshire was hammered tonight with that five-run inning. Uh, Trevor Lane finally got hit in the playoffs. If you're looking past this point, any concern that you have about from Butch Hobson's side about his bullpen here? I don't think so. They're, you know, these guys are pros, and they're the guys that also got them shut down the same Kansas City offense and get them into 16 innings on Saturday night. You just, it's baseball, man. I mean, the great thing about it is you got a bad night. You get the, you get the next night to redeem yourself and you just got to look at it. The relievers have to look at it like, well, starting tomorrow, your ERAs, your ERA is zero for the day going into tomorrow night. So, just got to have a short memory and just go in and attack the Monarchs on Wednesday night. And if you're better than them, great. If not, you tip your cap. Tanner, I want to come back to a point you were making about Godot and, you know, reaching the major league level. He came out after the seventh. He had that tough second inning where he gives up the, the three runs. But elaborate for us a little bit more about a guy who reaches this level if it reaches major league level, it, it is a guy that can have a bad inning and all of a sudden, you know, you would think that never happened. All of a sudden, he, mentally, he's back on top of his game. Yeah, you know, uh, pitching in the majors is not something I've ever had the privilege nor will I have of uh, doing. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys who will tell you that that can humble you pretty quick and teach you a lot about yourself. And I think that's uh, been the case, you know, with a guy like Dodo, as it is with any pitcher. But, you know, he gets up there. Um, you know, and he, he, you learn quick, you know, it's kind of trial by fire in a lot of ways, no matter how ready you are, or how highly touted a prospect you are. Uh, there's nothing like, you know, getting out there and being part of the biggest stage and, you know, uh, being under those lights. And, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of lessons that you take from that that you bring wherever you may go in your career, whether that is, uh, you know, continuing down the major league path or you come to a league like ours, you know, that can be uh, one of those veteran uh, leadership teaching moments, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, you know, I think the standard when you see a guy like that, you see someone of major league pedigree come to this league. We do have quite a few. we got some really darn uh, quality ball players that have had uh, some tremendous careers at the big league level. But I think when, uh, you know, they come here, there's a misconception sometimes that those guys are just supposed to rake. You know, they're supposed to bat 750 uh, with 100 RBI, or this guy's supposed to throw nine shutout on a given night. You know, you can count. Uh, you know, every fifth day basically is a win. You know, I, I think there's a misconception about that because you know it, it, it's a it's a it's a job. You know, and um, it's not a perfect science. Nobody 
is perfect. Everyone's going to have bad outings. Those are inevitable. But I think one of the biggest things Ashton takes away from his time at the major league level is how you deal with it, you know, how you put it in the rearview mirror, how you have a short memory, and uh, you, you turn things around and try to keep your team in the game. And To me, that was the, that was the biggest thing for me, uh, um, you know, looking at Kansas City and how they were able to rally from an early deficit. He kept them from crumbling. You know, he had that mindset uh, that, you know, I, I need to shake it off. Uh, next time I go out there, next inning, my ERA is zero. And uh, just trust that I've got the offense behind me to, to pick a, pick us up, and uh, that's ultimately what happened. In the ninth, Kevin, Chicago refuses to go away. And Alex Valdez, who had a very difficult postseason last year for Kansas City, uh, comes in, gives up a base hit to Dylan Rosa. Matt Bocher then doubles, moving Rosa into third. He walks uh, – or gives up the single, excuse me, to Johnny Turbo that drives home Rosa, then dr- gives up a walk to load the bases, and his night was over. And I was thinking, wow, Valdez, this, this seems to be a tough time of the year for him. Well, he had pitched well in his other outings in the postseason, but, and I don't fault Kansas City for bringing him, him in with that kind of a lead just to get him some work and give the rest of the bullpen the night off, but. It didn't work out that way for Kansas City. You know, there's a lot of a lot of other good arms down there, so I would not be the least concerned if I were the Monarchs. Look at on the other side, though, Chicago didn't go away. They managed to get the time run, run up to the plate. Maybe that's momentum for tomorrow night. Patrick Weigel then called in Tanner. He's able to get Peyton Neals to, to pop out to short. Nick Heath then walks to drive home a run. Ryan Lidge delivers a sacrifice fly to make this a three-run game. And as Kevin said, uh, they're, they're, they got the, the tying run sitting there on deck, but Josh Altman strikes out to end the contest. And, boy, Altman, Ke- Kevin was kind of joking with me before the game that he, he lost his bat or something. But, man, he, this guy just all of a sudden, an MVP caliber season, and his bat's been nowhere to be found. Yeah, you know, you look at that comeback from Chicago, and I think uh, that can speak to uh, to the mindset Butch Hassan's instilled on them. And, uh, man, honestly, you know, I think that you, you want to build something positive at the end. Even if it's too little too late, you can get that momentum to carry over into tomorrow and, you know, feel like you've got something going for you that maybe you're trending in the right direction going into an elimination game tomorrow. But either or, um, Altman is a guy that at the end of the season, I don't think anybody was hotter. You know, they, it, maybe not just in this league, but – on planet Earth, you know, in terms of who is the hottest baseball player right now, uh, the way Altman was hitting, you know, no pitcher wanted to face him. And for whatever reason, he's just not uh, been able to carry that as they got deeper and deeper into the postseason. Uh, if they're going to come back and take two at Kansas City and win this series, he's going to have to be. So it's one of those situations where, you know, short memory, trust your talent, what got you here. And, uh, you know, if, uh, for Chicago's sake, hopefully that is the case here over the next couple of days. Well, Kevin, game four tomorrow night, I believe we're going to see Stephen Lacey against Miller Hogan. Both of them have looked very good in the postseason. Uh, Lacey with a 2.70 ERA in his three appearances, two of them starts. Hogan with two quality starts, 3.11 ERA for for the Monarchs. Um, should be an exciting contest. Before we talk about predictions, just give us your thoughts on what you're seeing for tomorrow night. Well, I'm seeing Lacey once again having a pitch in a high-pressure situation. He did that against Cleburne in the first round and and succeeded with flying colors. He did get some work in on Sunday as uh, both staffs were 
pretty taxed after the Saturday night game. I think Lacey will Lacey will do good. It's just a matter of him um, getting, attacking the batters, staying in the strike zone, not getting the pitch count worked up, and I just you know his he won't wow you with his velocity, but his location's been pretty good, and that's what we're gonna have to see out of him. Miller Hogan, I believe he pitched the game three against Sioux City. And Sioux City did get to him a bit, so and I I'd put Chicago's offense above Sioux City's easily. So you know I'm gonna stick with my baseless prediction I made at the beginning of the series and I I think it's gonna be like uh be like game four was last year with Fargo and Milwaukee where you're gonna see the road team bounce back with a victory to set up a decisive game five. Tanner, give us your thoughts on tomorrow night's game and your prediction for who will come away with a victory. I think it's going to be a well-pitched game. I know that, uh, like Kevin said, Miller Hogan's coming off a little bit tougher of an outing than uh, he would have liked. And, you know, he's got an opportunity, like he did last time out, to, uh, to you know, push his team uh, to a series win. And, you know, I think he's going to take some things that he learned from that last outing and uh, we'll find a way to apply it, albeit against a much better offense like Kevin alluded to. That being said, I'm really impressed with Stephen Lacey. So I think those two are going to go toe-to-toe, and I think it's going to be a really fun, uh, well-played uh, played and managed uh, matchup. And uh, I tell you, if I do have to go on the record, you know, as making a pick, uh, I think Chicago finds a way to win tomorrow and force a game five, but I am still going to stick with Kansas City to win the series. So I think they'll split. Um, the next two games, there will be a game five. I'm still going with Kansas City winning tomorrow night to uh, close out the series in four. So I will stick with that. Quickly to the Frontier League. Uh, we didn't, we weren't on last night, so Quebec winds up coming up with uh, six runs early on in that contest to come away with a 12-3 victory over Evansville. Uh, quite an, a very exciting series, and Quebec, Kevin, I'm impressed with seven, six victories in each of the first two games of the series. Needed one win on the road to get the championship, and they came away with it. And they they didn't leave any doubt. They jumped all over Evansville early and didn't let the Otters get into the game. And afterwards, it was amazing hearing, because, you know, you and I are, we're up to our necks in it with American Association coverage all summer where we don't get to keep tabs on the Frontier League as much as we'd like. But I didn't realize Quebec, I believe they've wrapped, racked up like eight championships now between the old Can-Am League and then now the Frontier League. I mean, that is, in this day and age of parity and independent baseball, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, you don't normally hear about them because you hear about you know, the long run that Joe had out there in, in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, he didn't win a lot of championships, unfortunately. But I think six straight years he went to the championship series. And, you know, it's kind of those things get the attention. But Quebec manager doing a heck of a job up there. And I'm surprised some other independent teams or partner league teams, I guess I should say, haven't been trying to track him down and lure him away. So I guess we're going to find out more about that. Well, you guys, uh, I think that, uh, one last note we want to mention is, uh, since we have Tanner here on the show, is today, uh, this week in the Association of Minor League Sports Report, named 
Jordan Barts from the Sioux Falls Canaries as the rookie of the year. I know you're not surprised by that, Tanner, at all. No, no, I'm not. And uh, we appreciate you guys uh, giving Jordan that honor. In my unbiased opinion, it was very well deserved. But, you know, no disrespect to Dylan Cruz. He's an outstanding player, put together an outstanding season. But, you know, uh, Barth was a guy that I was hoping uh, would be the one who'd get that vote league-wide as well, uh, just because of, you know, what he makes up for uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, in the clutch, you know, he's among the best hitters in this league. You know, I know uh, Cruz had the, the batting average that ranked right among the uh, league leaders. I think he finished as the regular season hits champ, you know, but he, he's got a great bat, don't get me wrong, but, you know, about 50 points up on Jordan. Uh, you factor in Jordan's defense, um, you know, what he can do uh, in the biggest moments. You know, to me, I felt like uh, was his case, and, uh, you know, I, I, we really appreciate you uh, – you know, uh, honoring a, a great young man, and uh, tell you what, some happy people up in Cold Spring, Minnesota, uh, to to be able to read that in this week in the association today. That's fantastic, and you know, I'm, I, I gotta say, Kevin and I have been very impressed with the rookie performances this year. Gio Diaz was amazing, and Gary uh, Luke Roskin was fantastic. Um, there was just a, a lot of great pitchers. DJ Wilkinson was another one that w- was considered out there and had a great year, and. Uh, and Kevin, just you know, I think what one of the things that we've come to love about American Association is, is, is they give those rookies a chance to shine here, and, and we saw a lot of great ones this year. Uh, yes, we did, and you know, we're gonna we might get a little bit of heat on our selection, but I'm gonna defend it here. Um, the ballots that go out. I think oftentimes, with all due respect, Tanner, because I know you're one of the people that fills them out, but sometimes I think the people that fill them out just look at the numbers. And, yeah, yeah, Cruz had numbers that obviously are going to pop out at you. But for the, us that follow teams and teams closer, you always – it always seemed like when there was a big victory for Sioux Falls, a comeback victory that needed a big hit. Jordan Barth delivered more, just a ton of them this year, and I just felt like he meant a lot more to Sioux Falls than Cruz and his hits meant to Winnipeg, and you can go by your your position in the standings on that. I think Barth was a big part of Sioux Falls making the playoffs. Whereas Cruz had all those hits, but where did Winnipeg end up? They, they were out in postseason. So, you know, come at us as much as you want, but we'll, I'll stand by my Barth pick any day of the week. You know, and I want to jump on Tanner's point there for a moment, too. Seven errors in 98 games at short. That's that's just ridiculously good. And I mean, uh, Sam Dexter had a slightly better fielding percentage at short. And I think both of those seasons were unreal as a shortstop because you're, you know, you're fielding so many balls during the year. It's just crazy that you come away with so few. And I, you got to watch them all year. I mean, that must have just been a, a total pleasure for you, Tanner. Hey, he was an absolute human highlight reel as a guy who's, you know, out there. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm okay with my Coles ever going viral. He's a guy that gives me those kind of opportunities. So, I uh, know he's a joy to, to be able to call, be able to narrate his story. Well, that's fantastic. We will be back. Tomorrow night after game. Well, Rob, I got a couple more things uh, to throw out here. Late on me. Late on me. All right. Well, first of all, we didn't get a chance to mention Curtis Haig, 
was named Executive of the Year by the American Association, um, the general manager for the Kane County Cougars, once again, got recognized for just for the great show that Kane County puts on, how they leave the league in attendance, how well the promotions are executed, and just just how well all the general game day operations are put on down there. Fantastic. And? And uh, Netflix just released a movie today on Mike Vec called The Saint of Second Chances. It's, so if you got Netflix, you can go on there and watch it anytime you want. I watched it this afternoon. It was really good. And I was into the movie, and then <laughs> they were doing the movie in sections, and it, there were like nine parts of the movie, and it was like first inning, second inning, third inning. In the seventh inning, they made point a point about how neat it is that in the middle of an intense baseball game, everybody stops and sings, take me out to the ball game. And they're filming this in St. Paul. And all of a sudden, they show me and one other guy in the press box, they're rolling up the windows to throw peanuts out. I'm watching this. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I thought maybe I was in a crouch shot. Yeah, exactly. Another movie that I was in. I've been in like four now. Um, (laughs) And all family friends. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. oh, yes, yes, just to clear that up. Uh, uh, Mighty Ducks won, Untamed Heart, and I believe there was one other, a Little Big League. You, you, I didn't you, know you can hear me. Little Big League. Yeah, you can hear me in the crowd. Kevin Luca was in Little Big League, the most underrated slept-on movie of all time. <laughs> I was at the Metrodome on Fan Appreciation Night. Fan Appreciation Night in 1993, they shot a scene for the movie where they gave away a ton of tickets so they'd have a full stadium. And they had us, like, stand up and cheer for, like, a minute. And I was there that night, so I was in Little Big League. Mighty Ducks won and Unteamed Heart. I... I'm waiting for my Screen Actors Guild card right now. <laughs> Get the man the end. Well, I'm just wondering why we haven't been counting that on the show more. I mean, you know, I mean, it should be like your name and like massive font size and stuff like that, starring, uh, you know, Academy Award nominee Kevin Luke. I mean, there should be some stuff out of here. Man, we're going to have to hype Rob, this up we're better next year. You and I yeah, are the little celeb. Uh, you know, that's just my general humility. I will say I learned something in the movie today. Mike Vack, according to their accounts of it, created the concept of the of the sweets. Oh, boy. I didn't know that. Okay. They were struggling to try to sign Chet Lemon to another season in Chicago because Basically, they're working on borrowed money. They they barely had enough money to get by. Anybody that was going to become a free agent was going to have to leave. So Mike came up with the idea, hey, 
We got that old football press box from when the Chicago Cardinals played football at Comiskey. Why don't we sell those where people can buy a section of it? You know, we'll, we'll set them up with barbecue and drinks, and they can watch the game from there. And that was the precursor to what we see now with luxury boxes. Wow. But I highly recommend go on Netflix. It's called A Saint of Second Chances. And it's um, you know, the, the last part is a lot about Mike's relationship with his late daughter, Rebecca. Um, that was that could be a bit of a tearjerker, but very, very good. Very well done. So you folks get time, I recommend you go on and watch it. Well, I think Tanner and I are going to be queuing it up just so we can see Kevin Loco. That's really all I'm looking for now. So <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be telling everybody. I'm friends with Kevin Luca. Let me post that on Twitter right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to post that out here in a minute. So, hey, you know so, your, no, your co-star, Kevin, your co-star in Little Big League, Ashley Crow. Congrats to her and her family. I think that's her name, right? And her uh, her son just got called up by the Chicago Cubs. So it's kind of one of those things that comes full circle, right? Yeah, we didn't get to know each other very good, but yes, I did see that. <laughs> and you know, loving it, loving it. That, Little, little little trivia for you guys. There were three Northern Leaguers in that movie. I couldn't begin to guess who it would be. <laughs> That's I'm with have, you. They, I believe they they were in the movie as twins players. Um, Leon Durham, who a lot of people would know. Sure. Yep. Ed Stryker and Scott Meadows. All right. Well, see, I would not have. I, I'd have got one of those, maybe, Tanner. I think that would have been as good as I'd have gotten. So. It would have took me a while right to get on. Leon Durham, but maybe. All right. Right on. Well, once again, we will be back tomorrow night after game four uh, for our star, Kevin Luco and Tanner Hoops. I'm Rob Fenier. We will see you tomorrow night on This Week in the Association.